Chapter Thirty of Carpenter's World Travels, Alaska, Our Northern Wonderland, by Frank Carpenter. Recording by Betty B. Chapter Thirty: The Aleutian Islands. Among the least known parts of Uncle Sam's dominions are the Aleutian Islands, the shores of which I am now coasting. I have crossed Bering Sea and traveled along the Alaska Peninsula, a great tongue of land extending from the southwestern end of the territory as far as from New York to Cleveland. I have skirted the coast under the shadow of the Katmai volcano, which a few years ago spread a coat of ashes broadcast over the land nearby, and have seen something of the island of Kodiak, the largest in Alaska, where the government is now experimenting in dairy and stock farming. The whole of this region is practically unknown. Bering Sea is twice as big as Hudson Bay. It has a greater area than the Gulf of Mexico. It is as long from north to south as from Chicago to New Orleans, and its width is greater than the distance between the mouth of the Hudson and the Missouri River at Omaha. The sea is colder than the Pacific Ocean, from which it is shut off by the Aleutian Islands, and the climatic conditions are such that it is usually shrouded in fog. It is noted for its storms, and during the winter a great part of it is covered with ice. When we left Nome, the water was smooth, and we had no wind to speak of all the way to the Aleutians. The sky was bright with fleecy clouds floating here and there through it, while now and then a fog bank or so was to be seen in the distance. There was not enough breeze to raise whitecaps. There the color of the water was green. A day or so later it changed to a deep blue caused by the greater depth, or possibly by the clouds. The northern half of Bering Sea is so shallow that if you could drop the Washington Monument down into it, the aluminum tip would reach above the surface of the waves. Farther south, along the Aleutians, it reaches a depth of almost two miles. Near the islands are the great banks, somewhat like those of Newfoundland, upon which feed tens of millions of cod and halibut. They are among the best fishing banks of the world and are a big asset in our aquatic wealth. As we came south, I talked with the captain about his voyages. During the open season from June to October, he makes five or six round trips from Seattle to Nome. The ships often break their way in through floating ice and go out chased by Jack Frost. The ice comes to Nome almost in a night. It freezes first along the beach, and the whole sea becomes mushy. The water is covered with white caps of slush. Then a cold spell will come, and the sea will freeze far out from the shore. The ice may not be thick at first, and it breaks with the tide and floats away. If the wind blows toward the land, it is driven onto the beach and banks up. When the winter is established, the ice may extend from Nome as far as Nunivak Island, and floats in from the Arctic Ocean through Bering Strait. When the ice breaks in the spring, it goes almost as fast as it comes in the fall. A channel may form between the shore and the solid frozen body, and there may be a river of water with banks of ice on each side. Sometimes the earliest passengers are landed upon the ice and the ships are frozen in. I shall not forget my first sight of the Aleutian Islands. We had passed no land for two days when we came to the island of Unamak at the end of the Alaska Peninsula, which forms the beginning of the great chain of islets reaching from Alaska almost to Asia. The islands lie in a crescent, like stepping stones over the sea. 
they form the arc of an enormous circle reaching from the western to the eastern hemisphere unamak lies on our side of the world but atu the last of our islands is in the orient fifteen hundred miles distant and not very far from kamchatka at our coaling station on the island of kaska which is in the eastern hemisphere the evening twilight has not disappeared when the sun is rising in maine john bull often boasts that the sun never sets on british possessions the same is true of uncle sam's dominions when we take in atu island and the philippine archipelago the aleutians are the heads of volcanoes which have been almost drowned in the sea the island of unamak has two active volcanoes shishaldin the highest of these mountains has an altitude of more than nine thousand feet we could see it plainly as we sailed through unamak pass the foothills were green but far up the sides the grass was lost in the snow of the mountains and the peak was hidden in clouds during our passage the sun seemed to set between the ship and the island there was a great black cloud floating in the sky between us and unamak out of the bottom of the cloud came four broad shafts of light making a translucent veil between the ship and the island and losing themselves in the sea through the rainbow hued shafts we could plainly see the smoky outlines of the island beyond the rays of the sun seemed to mark the end of this side of the world and unamak to belong to the other side above the black cloud from which came the rainbow veil the sky was a brilliant blue and higher still were golden clouds painted by the hidden sun it was a combination of sky and land and sea that i have never seen in any other part of the world unamak the largest of the aleutian islands guards the chief pass into bering sea near it is unalaska upon which is dutch harbor one of the safe ports of the territory the harbor is on a bay backed by hills sloping gently up from the water until they are lost in high mountains behind captain cook landed there just two years after we declared our independence of england the aleutians had been discovered by vitus bering in seventeen forty one but cook was the first one to tell the english much about them he found the natives gentle and inoffensive and said that they might serve as a pattern to the most civilized nation on earth he described them as short plump and well formed the women wore garments of sealskin and some of the men had clothes made of bird skins with the feathers next to their flesh the men had holes in their lips in which they wore buttons of bone their houses were holes in the earth covered with a framework of driftwood and held up by whalebone they entered through a dark tunnel going down a ladder the principal room was from ten to twenty feet in diameter they used lamps for heating and their household utensils consisted of bowls spoons and buckets the latter made of straw closely woven when the russians took possession there were about thirty thousand of these aleuts on the islands they were hunters and fishers and were skilled in catching the sea otter then about the most valuable fur known the russians exploited the aleuts to such an extent that they were almost exterminated they have continued to decrease since we bought alaska and it is doubtful whether there are a thousand of them living today at dutch harbor and on some of the other islands the people are now living in buildings erected by the whales but on many of the islets they have homes half underground living much as they did when captain cook came they are very poor 
and now that the government has made a bird and game reservation of the aleutians their condition is worse than ever according to the present law one has to have a permit from the government before he can hunt game in these islands dr lester jones who as a representative of the department of commerce traveled among them a few years ago said that some of the islanders live eight hundred miles from a post office and that getting a hunting permit might mean thirty four hundred miles of canoe travel back and forth to the mail it would probably take several months to get such a permit and there could be no surety as to just when the reply would arrive i am surprised at the climate of the aleutians their summers are cooler than sitka while their winter weather is milder than that of either tennessee or kentucky at unalaska the average january temperature is thirty degrees above zero all of the islands are damp and foggy the rainfall is about ten inches a month and unalaska is said to have two hundred and fifty rainy days in the year on the island of akutan is one of the two whaling stations now operated in alaska the other is at port armstrong on the southern end of baranoff island about a thousand miles north of seattle conditions have greatly changed in the whaling industry since some of our yankee forefathers made fortunes in the business in place of their little sailing ships large steamers painted sea green are used the harpoon is now fired from a three-inch gun and attached to a cable operated by a steam winch which pulls in the whale after it has been speared the whaling vessels have air compressors for inflating the bodies of the whales after they have been killed so that they can be more easily towed through the water the best whalers today are norwegians who are found in all the seas where whales are hunted the largest catches are in the world's southernmost waters the number taken in oceans of europe and north america being hardly one-fourth of the whole whale beef is said to be both palatable and nutritious and has occasionally been sold in american markets a single whale will furnish as much meat as one hundred of the largest shorthorn cattle the flesh is ordinarily used only for fertilizer along with the bones and sells for very little money while the oil brings only a fraction of the former price and the once enormous sales of whalebone have shrunk to almost nothing it has been suggested that the fish canneries might put up whale meat during the several months each year that they now stand idle whale fishing in alaskan waters is very dangerous for if the vessels stay north too long they run the risk of being caught in the ice once three hundred whalers from a fleet of eight vessels were forced to winter at point barrow and would have starved to death if the united states government had not sent a relief expedition with a herd of reindeer for food it is questionable whether the aleutians will ever support any considerable population so far they have no whites except a few fox farmers who are trying to raise blue foxes there has been some talk of using the islands for dairying but there is a difference of opinion as to whether it would pay the climate is so damp that grain will not mature though grasses of all kinds grow in abundance and on the lowlands there is more or less grass throughout the year the soil is a vegetable mold mixed with volcanic ash the country is very rugged and there are no places where farms of any size could be made there is no doubt that cattle can be raised on the island of kodiak but kodiak is not one of the aleutians it lies far to the eastward being only about two hundred miles west of seward it is south of the alaskan peninsula 
and separated from it by the Shelikoff Strait. Kodiak is the largest of the Alaskan islands. Its area is almost as great as the state of Connecticut, and it raises some of the finest grass that waves under the American flag. The island is for the most part treeless, and the hills are covered with green. The Russians raised cattle there, and Americans had farms under cultivation as far back as 1880. The government stock farm is at the eastern end, about 15 miles from the harbor and town of Kodiak. The town has several hundred people, nearly all of whom have gardens in which they raise cabbages, potatoes, and turnips. Some of them keep cattle and put up some hay to be used during the snowstorm. The experiment station has barns and silos and all the equipment of a modern cattle farm. The fields are fenced with barbed wire and the stables are of modern construction. There is a dairy building equipped with separators and other butter-making machinery and experiments in breeding cattle suited to the climate are carried on. So far the best animals have been found to be Galloways, as they have long coats of hair which afford protection from the rainy weather. They are good rustlers and feed out of doors a great part of the winter. Though hardy cattle, the Galloways are poor milkers, and it is now proposed to cross them with the Tibetan or Mongolian yak. The director of the Russian experiment station at Irkutsk, Siberia, states that the yak crossbreeds readily with domestic cattle. The hybrids are more or less sterile, but some of them are breeders, and if a strain could be established, it would be of great advantage to Alaska. The Siberian yak are good for milk and beef, and also as draft animals and burden bearers. The Canadian government has given the Fairbanks station a male and a female yak, bred in the Dominion National Park at Banff, so that crossing them with the Galloways can now be tried. The hills of Kodiak Island are still covered with the ashes of the Katmai volcano, which fell there in 1912. The volcano is only 90 miles northwest of Kodiak, and the ashes were carried over the island by a wind which blew for two days during the eruption. For 48 hours, ashes fell like snow until they had covered the whole island to a depth of 18 inches. There were numerous slides of ashes down the hills and mountainsides, and where they drifted, they swept away fences and almost buried some of the experiment station buildings. Some of the sheep and calves were suffocated, and the livestock outside the barns were without feed during two whole days. When the eruption stopped, the vegetation was covered with this volcanic dust, and almost all the pasture was destroyed. When the rains came, the ashes flowed into the creeks and formed dangerous quicksands. The sheep would lie down at night in what seemed perfectly dry places, and by morning find themselves so mired that they could not get out. To make matters worse, the bear of Kodiak, unable to get pasturage on the hills or fish from the streams, came down from the mountains to prey upon the stock. All the springs were choked up, and it was necessary to dig a well to water the cattle. At last, hay was shipped in for feed, and later some of the stock was taken away to be kept over winter. Though it was feared the eruption had ruined the island for agricultural purposes, grain was planted the next year, and it was found that the ashes have acted upon the soil like a thick coat of fertilizer. The grass has come up through it and is growing better than ever. The crops are thriving, and the present condition of the island is better than it was before. The great shower of ashes from Mount Katmai led to the discovery a few years later of 
the valley of ten thousand smokes which was added to the wonders of the world by the tremendous eruption while making a study of mount katmai for the national geographic society professor robert f griggs of ohio state university found adjacent to the volcano a valley from which arose tens of thousands of clouds and pillars of steam and other hot gases subsequent expeditions sent to alaska by the society and headed by professor griggs made complete explorations not only of the valley of the smokes but of the surrounding area professor griggs found that the eruption of katmai with a force many times greater than that of any other volcanic upheaval blew off the entire top of the mountain it formed a crater three miles wide at the bottom of which is now a vitriol green lake of unknown depth the explosion also opened a great fissure in the earth underlying the valley of the ten thousand smokes and extending many miles beyond exploration showed that the valley with its numerous branches has a total length of thirty-two miles and an area of seventy-two square miles instead of ten thousand smokes there are believed to be millions of vents craters and fissures through which clouds of vapor are bursting forth from the bowels of the earth the region is a veritable modern inferno one member of professor griggs party likened it to the devil's private corner of hell in some places the hot gases rush out with a roar in others they make a grumbling sound while in still others they only whisper temperatures high enough to melt zinc have been recorded all the ground is hot and the explorers regularly cook their meals over the smaller vents much of the surface is burned red while the evil-smelling gases have left brilliantly colored incrustations at the edges of craters and fumaroles the region contains a lake of warm water in which float miniature icebergs and the valley is filled according to the few who have ever seen it with such startling phenomena as to give a weird uncanny impression of being in another world as a result of the reports of the katmai expeditions president wilson set aside the mount katmai region as a national reservation like yellowstone park and the grand canyon thousands will in future years visit this spectacle of the tremendous volcanic forces of the earth in operation mount katmai is only twenty-five miles from the coast which lies near one of the main steamer routes to alaska if a motor road were built the tourist might leave his steamer after breakfast ride through the volcanic region and be back in time for dinner on board ship the scientists who have studied the valley of the ten thousand smokes believe that it will remain in its present state for many years and that it represents on a vastly greater scale what was the condition in the geyser area of yellowstone park countless ages ago end of chapter thirty